The content of the Think Dementia podcast is based on the individual opinion and experiences of Amy House and should not be used as or in place of medical care. Think Dementia recommends you consult a physician if you have medical concerns for yourself or a loved one. This disclaimer also extends to any guests or content creators of the show. And now, let's think dementia. Hey everyone, this is Amy House with Think Dementia. Today we have two questions from two different spouses that are uh, very similar. So let me read the first one from Catherine. Hi, this is going to be short and sweet. Sometimes I can't go five minutes without my husband asking the same questions over and over again, especially with appointments or if we have plans with family. It can go on for hours. Any ideas? I appreciate your help. And that was from Catherine. Now let's listen to Daniel's version of that question that is very short and sweet. My wife keeps asking me the same question over and over. It's driving me nuts. This is a question that comes up often, and it comes up often in the support groups. I highly recommend joining a support group so as a spouse, both of you can spend time with other people who are going through the same thing or have gone through it in the past. They can give you some great ideas. So let's talk about what's happening in the brain and how we can think dementia for this situation. First of all, there's an issue with their short-term memory. That is on the left side of your brain. And basically, when you give somebody that information about what time we're going to that appointment or if we're going over to our daughter's house for dinner, whatever it is, when you have that kind of a scenario and you give them that time or that place, it goes into the short-term memory. It just goes bloop. So it just falls right out. It can't stick. The information does not stick in there. And so what happens is the person starts getting anxious about forgetting what time that appointment is. I'm going to use an example that I talk about a lot in my educational presentations that I do for caregivers. One of the examples I give is let's say we have somebody that we're caring for and we'll call her Susan. And let's say that Susan comes over to you and says, hey, what time is that appointment? What time is my son picking me up? And as a caregiver, we tell her 2 p.m. It's at 2 o'clock today. And what happens? Bloop. It falls right out. Five minutes later, Susan comes up again. Hey, what time is that appointment with my son? And again, we can tell her 2 p.m. But bloop, it does not stick. Remember, it does not stick in the short-term memory. So Susan's going to keep coming over every few minutes asking the same question over and over and over again. Hey, it's 9 a.m. and you've got five hours before that 2 p.m. appointment, and it's going to be a long five hours if we don't figure this out. Many times the repetitive questions are happening to somebody in the early stages of the disease. They have a lot of autonomy still, and they're able to take care of Maybe their personal hygiene still, or they're able to do things with a good routine. They know they should be doing something. They should be ready for whatever's coming up today with that appointment. And with that, what are we going to do to help that person remember that? If, it, if the issue really is in the brain and they're forgetting the information, how can we help them remember it? At this time, I usually have the class divide into groups and come up with some ideas. And here are some of the ideas that I commonly hear. One, 
you can continue to tell her the answer. That is true. You can continue to just tell the person over and over again the answer. But also know that that's not going to solve the issue. That's not going to change anything. And in this scenario, I hear two spouses that are getting kind of frustrated with that. So let's probably skip that one. Another option would be to write it down for me. And when I say write it down, don't put it on a post-it note that the person's going to lose in the next two minutes. Let's consider a large piece of paper somewhere they can see it, something that's not going to get lost. For example, many times I recommend to families with those early stages of getting a giant desk calendar and a big one. I mean, the kind that like covers a whole desk. The reason it's good to have it so large is so that it doesn't get lost. And it's not easy for the person to like drag it around with them and take it places where, again, it might get lost or compromised. And in those early stages, this can be a great tool where you can write down the times of appointments, you can write down what's happening, and that person can go back to that and answer the question themselves. What time is that appointment today with my son? Oh, it says right here, two o'clock. And maybe it takes some practice. Maybe you have to show them a few times, hey, here is where it says it on the calendar. So what's the answer? And, and prompt them and they'll come to the conclusion, oh, 2 p.m. That works in the early stages of this disease, but I have definitely seen the ability to manage that calendar change. And, you know, it's a good indicator for you as their caregiver of kind of what they're capable of. So start with that calendar, but know that things can change on that calendar. I've had people that I've cared for that have great success with using a calendar, but then at some point their brain continues to change and they start losing some of those skills. And so I'll see somebody say, okay, 2 p.m. I see that written here and they'll grab a pen and say, okay, and what time is lunch? Lunch is at noon and they'll add a one. And then they'll say the 12th, whose birthday is on the 12th? And they'll go over to the 12th on the calendar and start writing down notes there. And before you know it, they have scribbles all over and it's really unclear to them what was the answer to start with? What did I have here before I started making all these notes? So again, that can be a good indicator for you of where your loved one is and what they're capable of so that you can continue figuring out ways that are supportive for them and not frustrating. With that example of how things can get out of control with the calendar at some point, try using a whiteboard, something that is out of reach, posted up somewhere where they cannot accidentally erase the information or start writing their own information over it and just have it visible to them in an easy place, maybe somewhere next to the clock, something that helps them put all of that together of what time and what's happening today. Another example frequently that the staff talk about is taking that anxiety off the person's shoulders and just letting them know, I'm going to bear that weight for you. And when I say that, I mean that sometimes people can get really anxious about upcoming appointments because they have a history of missing them. If you think about it, they've been battling this disease probably for years, and I'm sure there have been situations where they missed that birthday party or they forgot that doctor's appointment or the salon called and said, hey, how come you're not here? So that has kind of built up a little history of, oh, no, my memory is not good. I might. I might, I might miss this. And I had somebody who always got so, so anxious when her family was coming to visit her. And finally, I asked her one day, why are you so anxious when your family's coming? And she said, I just don't want to miss them. I don't want to be in the wrong place. I don't want to be, I don't, I want to, I don't want to mix up the time. I, I want to make sure I'm right here where they can find me. 
And so when I talk about bearing that weight for them, I'm telling you, let them know that you've got it. You know, you're their partner and we are going to get this together. And so when they come over and ask you, what time is that appointment at? You can say confidently, it's at two o'clock. I've got it written down. I'm not going to let you miss that appointment. We're going to make sure you get there together. But we have time for other things first. So we we can do both. You don't have to stay here and worry about that appointment anymore because I'm going to take care of it. And you know me. You trust me, right? And that can help, again, take that weight off their shoulder. The last thing to talk about in this particular situation where it's about the short-term memory is, you know, why are they even able to hold on to this information that we have an appointment and that her son's picking her up at 2 p.m., but she can't hold on to that 2 o'clock part? What's going on there? And that's because the right side of the brain holds those emotional memories. And that person has a very strong emotional tie to her son, and she's looking forward to seeing him. So she can remember that there's an appointment today and that she's going to see her son, but Susan can't remember what time is it at. But when you think about that emotional memory and that tie and that tie to perhaps something joyful, the the joy that, you know, seeing her son and, and having time with him brings her, you also have to think about, is that the only thing she's looking forward to today? Because how much does your day suck if the only thing you're looking forward to is a 2 p.m. doctor's appointment? That is not a good day, right? So we have to think about the routine and what we're going to do to help someone stay busy so they have other things to focus on other than that 2 p.m. appointment. And that kind of brings me into the second part of this. If we take a moment and try to think dementia about the frontal lobe of the brain, that is where you have your executive function. And your executive function is what helps you decide what steps to take to start something, to initiate something. And then what step do I have to take after that? And what step was I on and where am I heading? All of those um, things are how you plan out your day, what you're going to do in that moment, all the way what you're going to do through the week. And when the person loses that ability, it can be really, really confusing. I know I've heard many people who are living with dementia speak about the constant question in their mind of what should I be doing right now? What should I be doing? And that inability to self-start, that it's just so frustrating. And I've heard that also from many people, especially when it starts adding to their anxiety. What what should I be doing? I should be doing something. What, What do you need me to do? What should I be doing? Because it is, you know, hard to imagine sitting around and doing nothing all day long and finding that enjoyable, right? That's not, you know, something that people enjoy, maybe for a little bit, but it gets awfully boring. And then you start thinking to yourself, well, hey, I'm a grown adult. I have responsibilities. I probably should be doing something. But you don't know where to start. That's what's going on with the brain. So knowing that, let's look at having a really good routine down for the day. Write something out on a whiteboard, put it on a piece of paper and hang it on the fridge Whatever it is that you can do to make this nice and easy for the person to see and follow, and just put down hour by hour by hour what we are doing during that time. You're wondering at this point, how am I going to come up with enough stuff to fill that day? You can include simple things like getting ready for the day, taking a shower, eating breakfast, taking medications, all those things that you have to check off each day. But then in between those, let's think of 
things that that person could either do with you as a spouse or things they could do on their own. So take a moment and just write down 10 things that this person can do on their own. Now, if you haven't been really fostering that and fostering their abilities that they have left, it can be hard to think of those things. But I have some examples from the people that I've worked with. Um, A lot of times the people who are in the early stages, I refer to them as my administrative assistants because they really enjoy helping me with office and paperwork. And I can give them a stack of papers that have dates on them and say, can you sort these by date? Or can you put all the Mondays in one pile and the Tuesdays in another pile and the Wednesdays in another pile? As long as the steps are short and simple and that you're not telling them to do too much at once, they can really enjoy staying busy and helping what's going on in the toolbox. You know, maybe you have a bunch of nails and screws and bolts. Can they sort those? Can they put these bolts together by size? How can they do this many different ways and be confident in it? So if, you know, sorting out those nuts and screws and bolts are their thing and they feel good about it, let's think of many ways for them to do that so that they don't get bored. And same thing, if office work is their jam, Let's think of many different ways that you could produce office work for them. I have residents who help me with proofreading. You know, just I have to always come up with something in that moment when somebody comes to me and they just want to hang out with me or they're bored. And I just come up with something. I'll say, great, can you just proofread these for me? I'm wondering if I made any mistakes or could you read these lines to me while I type them? I'm giving a lot of examples of things that are not necessarily a toy or that they look like something childlike, because again, we want to use the abilities that they have, but many people, especially in the early stages of dementia, may feel that, you know, they are not going to do something just for fun. They're looking for that purpose. So think about, you know, sorting is a big one. Sorting can be done by color, by size, by number. I have people who will not do a puzzle, but if I say, hey, I got this puzzle and I don't even know if all the pieces are here, can you put each uh, puzzle piece into like piles of 10? And I'll just have a little card sitting out that says put in piles of 10. And they will sit there and do that and we'll count all the puzzle pieces eventually to see if they're all there. And that is a great way to get somebody to do something fun that is still purposeful. Another example of sorting, because sorting can be done in so many different ways, I have gotten socks, and let's sort the socks, uh, baby socks, a whole bunch of baby socks to put together, and then we're going to donate them to this, you know, certain organization, something like that that has purpose. I recently went to the Axeman Surplus Store in New Brighton, Minnesota, shout out, and they had these amazing little circular spinning sorters. And I was able to go through and take all these little tiny electrical work components that I have no idea what they were. But if they fit in there, I put them on the inner circle, one of each, and then I got maybe 10 or or five of each other one for the outer circle. I will put a picture on my Facebook page so that you can see what this looks like. And I will tell you that I have been keeping a lot of people busy with that. Even if it's too much for them to put it in the sorter correctly, they like to put them in little piles and get them ready for me to put in the sorter. Another thing that you can buy is if you go to um, some of the big thrift stores around here, they usually have like a big jar of jewelry that you can buy, costume jewelry. 
let's take that out and let's sort through all that jewelry. Or you can get a lot of different beads and have them sorting beads and jewelry for something we're going to make later. I have a lot of fun craft ideas that I do with my residents, but I get them involved in all the pre-work. So if we're going to do something and we need, you know, 15 triangles cut out, I'm I'm going to have one traced out and ask them to do all 15 for me so that when we get to the part where we need the triangle in the craft, I've got them all pre-cut and ready to go. But somebody has helped with that process. Anything they can do. They might also like getting fake flowers from like a, a dollar store or Dollar Tree. Go get a bunch of fake flowers, you know, cut them into different little pieces and have them arrange them. Have them put some bouquets together. And then, of course, the most beloved activity for somebody to do on their own is sorting through or going through their photos. They absolutely enjoy that. And when I have somebody who's really confused and they're looking for something and they need somebody, I'll say, I don't even know if I know what that person looks like. But here, let's look through your photo album. You find a picture of that person and I will be right back. And boom, I give them a cup of coffee and they will sit there and look through photos for a very long time. Also, you can go online and you can get um, different buttons. You can order a bag of assorted buttons and you can sort them. So you may have to make things larger and easier as the disease progresses, but try a few things out and see what they can do and see how much they can contribute when they feel like they have purpose. It just can really make a, a day go by a lot faster if we can put some sorting activities or things they can do on their own into the day. But now let's look at the rest of the day, okay? Some things that we could do together. How about we sit down and we email uh, some family friends or we look through social media together and contact some people and, and enjoy the pictures that they're posting, Let's also get out of the house, okay? Try to plan something every day where you get out of the house. It gives you a reason to shower. It gives you a reason to get ready if that's a struggle for the person. You could go to a friend's house different days of the week and stop by for coffee around 10 a.m. and just visit for half an hour. And that, again, can really help somebody sleep better at night, feel less isolated, and you get a chance to catch up with your friends. And that can be a wonderful way for you to stay connected during the caregiving journey. Getting out of the house and seeing friends or family, going to the zoo, enjoying museums in the area, maybe going to a historical society or a museum in your town about the town history— those are all really fun things for you to do as well and just to get your mind off stuff and have something you can enjoy together. And of course, exercise is really good for you as the care partner. So a gym membership or taking a walk at the mall or finding a nice trail to go on or maybe bicycling together, those are, again, things you can do every day for yourself that you can include your loved one with. And if you're really struggling to come up with a routine for the day, contact me on the Think Dementia website and I would be happy to put together a little routine and email it to you just with some ideas of what you can do. These are just a lot of ideas of what you can do separately, but of course there are so many things that you can do together. Cooking, baking, going and seeing friends, let's go for a walk at the mall, or let's go to the gym together every day. Those are great activities that you need just as much as them. 
having a routine and knowing what to expect all day really can help somebody feel calm and secure and just take away so much anxiety. And I think I see that a lot in memory care because it is such a routine with getting up in the morning and breakfast and lunch and activities in between that the person can really relax a bit and not worry about what to do all the time. And here is one last option for when this woman is looking and trying to find out what time her appointment is. How about we don't tell her about it in advance? Shocking, I know. Shocking. But seriously, you don't always have to tell somebody something in advance if they're going to get anxious about it. it. That just sets them up for five hours of anxiety. And I know that sometimes people may get angry with you if you just spring an appointment on them. But again, that anger might only last for a few minutes versus five hours of anxiety. And it, you just apologize. You just I'm sorry, we just got in last minute. They just called me and they had a cancellation and I thought we should grab it. The point is that you can apologize and move on, which can be a lot faster than five hours of the person asking the same question over and over and over again. These tips are ways to help that day go by faster for you as a care partner, but also easier for the person living with dementia. And I hope that you can put some of these things into practice. And if you just don't know where to start, you can contact me at think-dementia.com and I would be happy to help you put something together. 